We'd like to give a special thanks to Astro Agency, the executive producers of Space and 60. They provide strategic marketing support exclusively for the space sector. Strategic because their team have all the vast experience working within space companies are setting them up. So they specialize in getting technical messaging and brand positioning just right, as well as having the industry connections to organize podcasts just like this one and their space bar webinars, which we'd highly recommend for new space networking. Check Astro Agency out on social media. They're in all the usual places. And we're back. Space in 60. Andrew, Chad, glad you're back. It's good to be back, my friend. It's good to be back. Did you guys watch the Capella lunch? We did. We uh, we had it up on the TV. My little one was saying stars and rocket. Been teaching her the the space keywords. So that was pretty awesome. Chad, I guess you didn't watch it. Oh, I, I did. Yes. But I didn't have my little one with me watching it. I was watching it and... My mind is a blur now with the infant. Was your little one a 12-ounce can of beer? Yeah, that's why I was trying to think of what time it was. But I think it was on the weekend. <laughs> so even if I had one, no problem. It, it all works out. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I drove over to the Capella lunch with the family. We went over to the Kennedy Space Center and watched it from the bleachers. And that is the closest I've ever been to a lunch. I think it was 3.9 miles away, which was sounds like a long way away. But from there, you can see the rocket up close, see the smoke, see the fire, feel the rumble. Impressive experience. If you've never been that close to a launch, you've got to go. So you never did model rockets, Clint? You didn't go out to the field, be like two feet from the rocket when you launched it and like singed your eyebrows and cheered as it went screwing up? Oh, yeah. All kinds of model rockets. Yeah. When we moved here from from Germany back in 2013... The first thing we did, like on the very first weekend we were back, was go to, uh, I think it was Hobby Lobby or someplace like that. And we bought a model rocket and took it out and launched it. The thing is, in Germany, you've got to have a license for everything. And so when we got back, the first thing that we did was be as American as possible and drive out to a field and launch a rocket. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, from the Canadian perspective, I think that's the second most American thing you could do. I thought the the most American thing you could do is go out to a field, line up a a bunch of milk jugs or bottles and and, uh, shoot them down. Shoot them down. No, 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 no. That's uh, You're right. That is pretty American. But yeah, we went out to a field, uh, backed the car up, and there was a whole field full of people that we had never met before. I signed up for a rocketry club, and we launched rockets out there, and my kids thought that was the coolest thing ever. I thought it was the coolest thing ever since I'd done it um, when I was young. We've gone to a lot of launches since being back in Florida, and a really fun thing that if you can mix lots of American things together, we had some colleagues from... Canada, uh, industry colleagues some from Canada and some colleagues from Germany. We all drove out to the beach, backed the Ford F-150 up on a, a large embankment, put some lawn chairs in the back, ice chest full of beer. And the international friends loved the tailgating experience of watching a rocket launch at two in the morning from the back of a Ford F-150. Just note to our audience, 
Clint is putting that plug in there because he really wants the new electric Ford F-150. Yes. I'll, I'll, I'll put my plug in for that too then. It does look pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. The, the Lightning is awesome, but I, I've already put money down for a Tesla pickup, the Cybertruck. Don't know if I'm going to go forward with it, but the, the Ford Lightning is pretty awesome. That's funny. That's funny. It can power your house. I'm in Hurricane Central. And the I don't know if you saw that. Did you guys watch the trailer when it came out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I watched the the next day. Yeah. Yeah, you can actually plug in your Ford F-150 Lightning into your house and power your house for up to three days. Yep. It's unbelievable. So Ford is going to have to pay for this. This is obviously a Ford plug. <laughs> They're going to have to send us a check after this one. <laughs> for the commercial here. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, did Ford test that with or without kids? Because I know with the number of phones, iPads, laptops, and all that jazz in our house, I don't think it would last like six hours. <laughs> well, I will say the Ford F-150 and the Tesla Cybertruck are ideal for watching rocket launches. 100%. Can't argue with that. And we'll test them out for them if they want, you know, for a little while until they're released to the general public. Just throwing it out Great there. Great idea. Great idea. And they should definitely test it here in the minus 40 Celsius Canadian North. So I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that challenge for you guys. <laughs> We've got a great experience living over here near the space coast to go over and watch those rocket launches. And that launch Capella was launching one of its star satellites and it's pretty amazing. 50 centimeter spotlight image, star satellite, highest resolution on the market. Really, really cool. But the launch was amazing. Was happy to be there for it. But it was a great time because we we took the kids over there as well, and they got to be up close and personal with the launch and just a ton of fun. And, you know, it's really neat to hear about all of the different things that people are launching these days. Yeah, no, excited for our guest today. Ben's putting some, some fun stuff into space. I think folks are going to enjoy our conversation with Ben. Ben's kind of a surprise guest for me. What's he launching? Are we going to give it away? Oh, yeah, give it away. Tease it out there. Tease it. I was, I was going to say, if we, if, we, if, we, if we give it away, folks might not listen. Okay, hold it. Hold it. Don't give it away. I'm sure everyone wants to hear. Let's let Ben disclose it when he gets here. Ben Haldman, welcome to Space in 60. And thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Excited for, for our conversation. You guys are sending DNA to space. That's one of the most unique value propositions in the business that I've seen anyway. Tell us about that. I'm building a company called LifeShip. And what we're doing is we're saving the genetic code of humanity and then sending it outwards towards the stars. And we're on, we're on a first mission that people can get a DNA kit for and add their DNA and their story to this time capsule that goes up to the moon later this year. It's a way to engage people in space, a way to send people as part of a space mission, and and then a way for people to be part of this curiosity and wonder of what could happen in the future. I've been working on space things for about 20 years. I, I worked with Andrew at Planet Labs for a while and built a big network of satellites and worked on rockets. And the vision for my life and the big project I'm working on is, is helping spread life beyond Earth. Part of that's preserving humanity and spreading humanity. And part of that is, is working towards sending seeds out there that maybe someday could grow. That's pretty cool. So we're starting with just DNA biobanks, but the big vision is, is to seed life in the universe. 
That's awesome, Ben. How did you get started in the space? Like, what got you into, I guess, maybe even before Planet, what got you into space? One of my nicknames as a kid was Space Man. Like, I, <laughs> I was, I was kind of spacey. And yeah, I was fascinated by it and loved it. And, and then I studied mechanical engineering. And then at grad school at Berkeley, I got involved in a project, which would have been my PhD thesis. I did, did it for a few years was to build an instrument to look for amino acids on Mars. So it was an early precursor to the instruments that are up there now on the, on the latest Mars rover mission for amino acids in the soil. And so I built this microfluidic laser device to look for spectroscopy of amino acid signals. And so I did that for a few years at Berkeley. And then I left to build big telescopes around the world and set up giant robotic telescopes on mountaintops around the world. And we set up about 30 telescopes at, at a nonprofit called Las Cumbres Observatory, which was founded by one of the early leads of engineering at Google. And he said, Wayne Rosing who set aside a bunch of money to build a big global network of telescopes. So I did that for eight years. And then I joined Planet. I was one of the early engineers and worked on a couple hundred satellites that went to space and traveled to Russia to like get rocket from the Russians and went to SpaceX and Blue Origin and yeah, did lots with rockets and lots with satellites. And I designed the, the camera system on Planet Lab satellite, which is used to image the whole Earth every day. So a lot of telescope and optics and camera work, both looking out to find new planets and then looking in to observe Earth and protect Earth and care for Earth. And so this this really helped connect me to this both like a fascination of protecting Earth and like the overview effect we get of looking at Earth and, and taking a step back. And then also this like, is there other life out there? Is part of our role in the universe to help spread life? What other planets could be out there that, that could support it in the future or could have it now? And so both the curiosity and this long-term like existence of life in the universe and whether we have a role in, in helping perpetuate that and then also protecting Earth and caring for what we have have here has all kind of come together to this vision of, oh, let's protect the blueprint and code of Earth and save that forever and also take steps towards spreading life outwards and do it in a way that is a low-cost consumer product that connects millions of people to space. That's kind of how, how it all came about. That's pretty amazing. I mean, I think in your lifetime, you've touched space and done more in space than, I don't know, most people have ever. I mean, that's that's incredible, like all across the board. That is pretty cool. You've kind of been to Mars. You've been to, what, 30 mountaintops or looked out off, off 30 mountaintops into space. You've built satellites looking down from space. Now you're sending stuff into space for people, people to touch space. I mean, that's unreal. Yeah, it's been a cool journey. I've gotten to do lots of cool things in space. Pretty grateful. And I remember the first, like I had worked on lots of telescopes and spent so much time looking at the stars and, and looking for new planets. But the first time I, I had built a satellite and like literally put my blood, sweat and tears into this satellite and like many sleepless nights, like delivering this thing in time for the launch because we were working on, on tight schedules. The, the first satellite that I had like put so much effort in when that went up to space I, like i felt that that was an <laughs> emotional feeling like literally my blood sweat and tears my dna is in space and that's a powerful feeling and and we're making that accessible to to people now 
So Ben, you having built hundreds of satellites, is there any chance that maybe you snuck something into the spacecraft before it launched? <laughs> I know we got a, one of my dog hairs into one of the satellites at one point, not, not necessarily intentionally. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I snuck anything in there. No signatures, no, no, yeah, no little Lego guys. I was going to ask about the signature. Lee signed something that's <laughs> up there. I, I probably have my name written some secret places. Sure. There we go. <laughs> Good. Every engineer's done that. Everyone. And it's funny of all our guests, like all our guests that come on and put a, a satellite in orbit, I think they've all said the same thing. Like they feel like a part of them is in orbit with their satellite and equally blood, sweat and tears. Same kind of passion, I guess, the best way to describe it, right? So, you know, I, I think there are probably a lot of people listening that wonder, how do you get your DNA into space? Or better yet, how do I get my DNA to Ben? We have a consumer kit for like $100 where you order the kit, you get it in the mail, it uh, comes with a swab and you, you do the DNA swab and then mail that back in the prepaid envelope. And then we extract your, we pull your cells off of that swab, and we've already done a run of a thousand customers to process their DNA. We extract your cells off of it and then lice them open and clump the DNA together and pull it out using what's called an ethanol precipitation. And then so we get like a powder of your DNA essentially. And that all goes with a DNA collection of other species as well. And then, and then of humanity in, in a small capsule. And the capsule, the first one we're doing with our partners with ARC Mission Foundation, and it's called the Lunar Library 2, and that one's launching later this year. That capsule's already closed up and sealed and at the lander. Then we're working on another mission that'll happen in the next year or so, and we're, we're already on another moon mission. It launches on a rocket, and then there's a lander on top, and the capsule is a small part of what's in the lander. The lander can hold... I don't know, it's probably about the size of a kitchen table and it can hold about 50 kilograms and we're, we're a fraction of a kilogram because DNA is so small. And so this launches on the rocket. You get to, as a customer, you watch the, we'll have a live watch party for the rocket and we'll have a build up to the event. And then so you're part of this rocket launch in the community that's going up to the moon together. And then you, you get to track your spacecraft as it transitions to the moon and then it has live video for the landing as well. So you'll watch that live. And then the lander just stays on the moon and has the capsule there, similar how to the Apollo landers are still there in essentially pristine condition sitting there on the moon. So it'll just stay there holding the capsule for forever, essentially. Once my DNA is up on the moon, and maybe this is a little far-fetched, but is there any like alerting system or like a security fence? So if a UFO comes by and aliens <laughs> want to grab my DNA, I get a notification or? I may, may we'll put that into the feature request. There <laughs> we go. Feature request. It's on the roadmap. Yeah. It's on the roadmap. Elliot security alert exactly. system. There I wonder if there's like a background check for this seeding of the universe. I mean, there's a, <laughs> I, I think that there should be a background <laughs> check for this. <laughs> you know, the first person that I ever heard of doing something like this was with James Doohan, the uh, Scotty from, from Star Trek. And it's the first time that I ever considered that something like this might be possible. 
was this any type of influence on you to to start this business when this happened or are there other examples that maybe the public doesn't know about or isn't aren't as well known of of this in the past yeah so i forget exactly when scotty was was beamed up but i remember seeing the article i think i saw that after after we were well underway with this that's part of the fanciful future of this is is we're essentially saving your blueprint and your story, which is essentially a first form of saving your consciousness. And the big dream is, could we eventually intelligently seed life out there and regrow you or like send something that could grow a receiver and and have you control an avatar out there? It's, it's just like a baby step towards bigger visions of how could we beam ourselves to the stars? Yeah, I know Scotty did that. I know Stephen Hawking's DNA went up I think to the International Space Station as uh, I think it was called the Eternity Drive. And neither one of those did I know about before starting Lifeship, but but both are this case of of this famous space person like getting to leave a space legacy and go go be part of space in this inspiring, wonder-filled way of like, what does this actually mean to preserve my code? You know, I'm I'm trying to to hold back here and be professional about it, but like I'm unbelievably excited, and I'm probably going to be signing up as soon as we get off this podcast today. <laughs> but I was, I mean, I've been talking about this with with my family and my wife forever that this is what what I want. When James Doohan's ashes were, I guess, stored, weren't exactly supposed to be going to the International Space Station, and they were taken up in 2008. And only recently in the last year was it announced that they were actually on the space station, you know, and I've been trying to think of, you know, what path is there for an ordinary guy like, like us to be able to, and, you know, if there is the possibility that guys like Andrew and Chad would be reconstituted in space, I would encourage you to put those filters on um, (laughs) in in any way possible. (laughs) Because like, they're with me here. I don't want them up there with me. This is exciting stuff. And would you say that there's any one part of the world where you're getting more traction from from customers? Is it North America, South America, Australia? Or is there any particular place that's getting more attention? We've focused on starting with the U.S. for now, just as far as logistics and shipping and just to focus. But we've we've opened up. Yeah, we do get contacted from Europe and U.K. and Someone from Singapore pinged me the other day, and we've we've probably sent them to like, yeah, fifteen different countries, and that's without us even having it open to international. That's just people people requesting it. But I'd say, as far as like customers and audience, it it really there's both the the space fans and Star Trek fans and futurist fans and and like dreamers in that way, and then there's there's a whole customer base that is more like the cosmic connection and the moon connection or the wanting to do it as a family or wanting to send their DNA and, and the loved ones, their parents' ashes and their two dogs' DNA so that they look up at the moon the rest of their life and they're all, all connected. And so, yeah, we definitely have a, a strong audience that just comes from more of the, the like emotional, sentimental connection with 
with space and the cosmos and 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 family and friends and and tying it together that way as well as like the the dreaming space sci-fi audience right so with those dreamers we talked about the moon are you looking further out with mars and other planets out there or you know even asteroids for sure we're we're building a small enough capsule and then then the vision is that you get the product and you go to the moon we're we're probably we're adding the international space station as well so the standard product will likely be you go to the international space station and the moon and then we'll have a number of different missions that we'll be adding over time as well uh, mars is still both sensitive as far as contamination and tricky to get to, but things are changing very rapidly and there will be more access coming in the, in the next years. So yeah, definitely as we're expanding outwards and then there's more, there's, there's newer low cost spacecraft that are being sent out beyond earth and going different places. And so we're, we're looking on getting on all sorts of exciting missions. It's a great point you bring up about contamination. I was wondering, is there anything you guys have had to kind of check off the box and kind of prove out to the you know community to get this stuff up to the moon or? Yeah, it's definitely edgy as far as like a, lots of people are taught to keep space pristine and we don't want to, we don't want to contaminate. And part of the big vision is no, we actually have a role to seed life out there and continue life. So we're, we're trying to bridge both a, how do we do this responsibly and build towards that big vision with, yes, we still have stuff to learn with the moon. We have stuff to learn with Mars and we don't, we don't want to contaminate. And so we want to be on the right side of how we do this in the right way. Yeah. As far as the moon, the moon, NASA has changed their planetary protection guidelines and we're totally fine sending DNA to the moon and we're all checked out on that. When we go to the polar regions on the moon where there's ice, there's additional precautions we have to do, but we can still send DNA there. But Mars will be different. And how we're starting this is a sterile capsule with inert DNA in it. And DNA can't grow something on its own. So it is on the edge of like us sending life out there and intentionally like saying, hey, we're designing this towards being a seed that someday could do it. But that's that's we're not going to try to seed life in our solar system. Yeah. That's <laughs> that's the big, big vision beyond. Is there anything you have to do to protect the DNA from radiation? I, mean, I would think that that might have some sort of effect on it. So radiation will break it down faster on on Earth. We've found DNA preserved over a million years old. And I think we have the full genetic code of a ancient pony, 700,000 years old. On the moon, radiation will break it down. You can still piece DNA back together as it's fragmented. That's like how we, how we get woolly mammoth DNA or ancient pony DNA as you piece together fragments anyway. So it'll break down quicker. We, we think it'll still in this first capsule last 10,000 years or more, but the vision is, is to start adding more and more radiation protection. And then if we drill down in the surface of the moon and put it underground or future landers to the moon are going to lava tubes and underground areas because those are, are of interest for humans living there because they're protected from radiation. So in the future, we'll look to agilely increase how long DNA can last up there. But yes, radiation breaks it down, but it'll still, it'll still last a while. So is there a guarantee with that? Is that 
part of the package <laughs> warranty. The 10,000 year guarantee. Yeah. We just guarantee your DNA gets to the moon. <laughs> that sounds good. That sounds 10,000 years are your money back, Andrew. Yeah, Come yeah. On. Yeah, I like that. Hey, yeah. what am I getting? Well, 10,000 years from now. And it's interesting, you know, going back to that point on NASA, it sounds like, you know, being a Trekkie, we've got a prime directive kind of already happening here on Earth. Yeah, that's pretty nifty. I didn't even didn't even think that would be a possibility at this stage. And the other thing that that you were talking about there about sending into the International Space Station, it just makes you think on those follow-on steps, wouldn't it be fun to have like your DNA in a satellite that's in orbit and in in some SDA softwares, you know, tracking all the the orbital stuff out there. There's a little satellite called Andrew Plipchuk in orbit for Again, 10,000 yep. years. Yep. Your, your own personal satellites. <laughs> Have you ever wondered how to get your company's latest news in front of a global space sector audience? Then get in touch with Room Space Journal. With a large digital and print audience focusing on space, astronautics, science, and the latest news and developments from the sector, Room Space Journal is a direct route to increasing brand awareness in space. For the latest space news and to download a media pack, visit the website at room.eu.com. So how is it that you've ended up running this company remotely? It looks like you're, I think earlier you mentioned you're, you're not having to work traditionally like the rest of us, grinding it out in office. It looks like you're, you're running this amazing company remotely at this point. Yeah, I, part of this is the product of the times we live in, but I ran, I ran life ship for the first two and a half years from San Francisco and I had been living there for eight years. So it was well connected in San Francisco and felt like that was the good place to seed it from and, and started and, and then had, we were shipping all our product and then receiving them from our place in San Francisco, but got set up at a warehouse that's doing all our fulfillment for us and then got set up for receiving the DNA and got, got the lab set up that processes the DNA. So really got the, the core parts together. And then we have a team of 11 or 12 people now and they're all remote and all around the world. And we have weekly meetings on it and working together every day on, on, on LifeShip. And I got it from the place where I don't need to be in a physical location. And then I don't need to be in San Francisco to be in the tech scene right now anyway. So it felt good to be in a spot that maximizes my creativity and my, my vision and my, my like puts me in a state of flow and manifestation. And, and I found that here and I found that this is a good place for me for a bit. And I'll, I'll probably come back to California in a bit as well. We've taken that approach at our company, Terrametric, where Chad and Andrew and I work as well. But I'd like to say that we've been remote before remote was cool or before remote was required anyway. One of the things that I think that comes from this new environment where we see so many companies running, space companies running remotely and seemingly disconnected teams, but I, I feel like we're more connected than we've ever been. And one of the things that that I was thinking about as this pandemic first started really taking hold was that I think that there are a lot of shifts in the way that business works, but the amount of creativity that's going to come from this, from not having those pressures of 
the day-to-day office work environment is incredible. And I think we're seeing this in the development of your company. We're seeing this in the development of some space companies that are moving towards service-oriented companies and less based on hardware and more about connection and development and analytics. And they're all developing along that path. What would you say as you're definitely a new type of space company, part of the the new space movement, whether it's hardware or not, what do you think is, is the most exciting thing happening in new space other than the creativity we can all have now from working remotely? What do you think is happening that's just really cool? It feels like we're right on the cusp of the, the whole frontier opening up in a new way. Like all the different companies are, are starting that'll serve this economy of humans living in space in the future. I think that's one thing. Another is like what LifeShip is, is we're essentially like an app on top of the space, <laughs> the space ecosystem. It's like, okay, we don't need a big factory to build spacecraft or like we could, we could do this remote and still send stuff to the moon. And we need to put the capsule together, but like it's essentially like space is now a platform that it's much easier to start up a, a new concept and build on top of what's there. And so whether that's access to space and getting something there or engaging people and getting people involved in space in a new way, it's, it's like everything has come together to make it so you can build apps on top of space, essentially. I think you nailed it there with making it more accessible to the common person. You know, I, I think we all dream of going to space and, and with somebody like yourself, we can actually all get there in some kind of capacity. But Totally agree. I think the exciting part of new space is the fact that you're right. It, it is becoming a bit of a platform and in a good way, because we can all take our creativity and go do something in space that we didn't think maybe was possible before. We never actually even conceived of before. So that's, that's pretty awesome. No, it's, it's super yeah. inspiring. It's inspiring to see your company get going too. Where do you think it's going to go in the next, you know, five, 10 years? Yeah, I, we're at a rapid excitement for space tourism, for space settlement, for regular flights to the moon and, and just like the infrastructure really being built up and rockets are becoming more like airplanes. So I, I feel like we're like on this rapid inflection point where space is suddenly opening up and yeah, I see just much, much greater consumer and broad public excitement about space. And that, and that this just like, it's already sunk in for me, like the whole, oh, we haven't been to space for 50 years. Or what about flying cars when I, when I grew up? It's like sunk in like, oh, I know it's happening now. All this stuff is like right there. And yeah, for most people in the world, they, that hasn't totally sunk in. Like they see rockets landing and they see big rockets being built. But I think in the next five years, it'll, it'll really like sink in in a new way for a much broader part of humanity that this is part of our future and this is happening and we're going to space and there's ways for people to be part of it. And it's, it just becomes much more accessible and just so many new applications get, get built off that, that both help and inspire us as humans and build towards longer visions and help the earth here and now and help our species now. You're right. The, the pace is in, incredible. And earlier this week, we, or I guess last week, we went over to watch Capella Space launch their, their SAR satellite at the coast. And um, one of the things that this pace 
has changed. Um, it's made a lot of things ordinary, you know, and I took my kids over to that launch and then we were getting ready for another launch. And I said, you want to go over and watch the launch today? And they said, how about the one on Wednesday? And the fact that we've gotten to that point where it's commonplace <laughs> to launch every other day or even once a week is just an amazing cadence that I don't know how we're possibly going to maintain that, but that's just SpaceX. And on top of that, we've got all the traditional space players like ULA, and we've got companies like Astra and Firefly and Rocket Lab that are enabling this huge amount of transportation to space. But at the same time, we still have a supply problem, a supply of rockets. The number of rides that need to go to space and the number that are happening are still not connecting. I'm absolutely thrilled that it's becoming commonplace. I don't think I'll ever lose the awe that I have for it, but to sit on the beach and feel the rumble of that rocket as it heads up is just an amazing feeling that until you've experienced it, it's really hard to describe. And I think if we had more people that were able to attend the launch at such short distances and, and feel, not just see it, it's nothing like it is on TV, but actually feel it shake your body. The number of kids and youth that we'd have going into STEM programs would, would balloon or skyrocket. And it would just be so amazing if we could, if we could enable that more. That's so bad, Clint. That's so bad. I, I'm guilty of dad jokes. <laughs> Couldn't help it. Couldn't help it. So Ben, I think you're going to end up inspiring a whole batch of folks seeing the the way you've created this company and you're you're building up on top of new space. But before you got in and you did a whole ton of super cool stuff, but was there anything that inspired you to get into this segment or this sector and, and thinking back? Yeah, I'd say like I came up from a very technical and rocket scientist and space engineer mindset, a very analytical mindset. Then I really, really started meditating and doing yoga and exploring my personal growth and doing trips to the rainforest and working with indigenous cultures and really, yeah, really opening myself up and connecting to a deeper wisdom and a deeper purpose for, for myself. And, and I was down here in Guatemala three years ago and went for this long walk in the rainforest by myself and felt like I got this like a form of the overview effect where I felt I felt like where astronauts describe seeing the whole earth as one and and as a system like I was in the rainforest and felt like humans are part of a bigger intelligent earth that wants to spread its seeds outwards and that's part of why we're here and, and part of what earth has grown us to do is is have a purpose of spreading its seeds outwards and helping life continue and helping us uh we don't know if life was sent here or originated here, but life evolved over four and a half billion years on Earth. And now to the point where we're, you know, we're at this like critical point in the timeline of a planet. Like there's like the birth of the planet, the birth of life on the planet. Then there's like when the planet rebirths and sends life out. And we're right, we're right on that part. And, and I feel that's, it came to me that that's one of humanity's biggest purposes in the universe is to help the cycle of life. And yeah, so that, that vision came from the rainforest and it, it came from 
listening to the fungi and the insects and the plants and and just like tuning into nature and like all this like download came through that okay this is this is why we're here and this is the earth is cooperating for us to do this and so so i i, I saw this as a like a natural process in the in the flow of life in the universe is that oh we're we're the wind carrying the dandelion seed outwards we're we're the ones helping this process i feel deeply connected to that and feel it's a a grand grand endeavor for humanity to take this on and both preserve our genetic code and save that for eternity so there's there's always a record of this amazing planet and the code for consciousness that that humanity is and and then also take steps towards continuing life absolutely ben ben we've we've had just an enormous privilege to have you on today and you've been very generous with your time if someone wanted to work with LifeShip, if they wanted to take advantage of this very unique capability that you provide, can you maybe walk us through? Before you leave, I, I can tell not too many people can take Chad, Andrew, and I for, for more than 45 <laughs> minutes. So we'll, we'll give you an easy out. Tell us how they would work with you. And then we'll be happy to, uh, to let you get back to your wonderful life in Guatemala. Awesome. So our website is lifeship.com and people can send their DNA for $99, send pet DNA, send ashes all, all through there. We're building a community through this. So there, there's one path in as a customer. And then we're also working to get get the story out and, and build the team and grow advisors and connections and investors. So if there's interest in, in being involved in the team in some some other way, then my email is ben at lifeship.com. Ben, thank you so much for your time. And if you are interested in working with LifeShip, feel free to email Ben or go to lifeship.com. And I think it's an experience that I'm definitely going to take advantage of. And I won't grab Chad and Andrew's DNA without their consent, <laughs> but I don't know, maybe. No, I'll... it's super exciting. It, it really is. Fantastic, Ben. Thanks for coming on and, and talking about your, your new journey and, and where you're heading. Wow, what a show. What a space in 60. Ben is doing some really amazing things like all of our guests do. It is phenomenal. I mean, just to think that any one of us could be in space for 100 bucks. Maybe we should look at what currency that is. That's U.S. bucks. Yeah, it's wild. I have to say, after hearing Ben and his passion for this and the fact that they're already in business, ready to go, and I can somehow be a part of going to space for only $100. That's exciting. I'll be signing up just as soon as we finish this episode. It is wild. And the, the first launch is already filled up for him. What's funny as I'm thinking about this, Canada's just announced that they're going to send a, their own moon rover to the moon. I'm just thinking I'm going to get on that moon rover or I'm going to I'm going to program it to go over there, take Clint's DNA sample and just chuck it off the moon. We don't need this here. This is space trash. I'm sorry, but you're not getting my DNA sample, Andrew. <laughs> but hey, this could this could be fun. Yeah. So, uh, Chad, would you like to send your DNA to the moon? As long as it's staying away from Andrew and his Canadian uh, lander <laughs> that he over. has up there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
make sure that we'll make sure the DNA gets up there. And then the ashes are up there at the end as well. Just so you know, if, if Andrew does go crazy, I can still stick around for another 10,000 years. I mean, this is going to open up the lunar economy because now we're going to need security firms and we're going to need some traffic lights for, for the moon rovers. I mean, just think of like all the possibilities now. Well, it was pretty interesting thinking about that too, where he, we talked about it and kind of thinking about the contamination standpoint of it. And NASA has already set those protocols. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Who would have thunk it? So now, yeah, you can send your DNA up and everything's good. Soon we'll be going to Mars once they set those. But I think Clint brought up the best point of around background checks. And I don't know if Clint would pass. <laughs> There's no way I would pass. i i think that you know this is a a great step for the average person you talk about we all within the new space industry talk about how we want to democratize space and what does that really mean i mean if you've got 10 million dollars you can participate and i think that what ben's doing is one of the truest ways of democratizing space is giving every single one of us the opportunity to put their DNA in space. It doesn't seem to be any harder than if you fill out a 23andMe kit. I mean, it's probably about the same and you're able to send your DNA to space. So if you think about it, the three of us could be together forever in space. Another 10,000 wow. years with me, boys. <laughs> I was going to say, he, he's not guaranteeing anything. <laughs> no warranty with that. But I do like it because you, you think about that piece. And like he was mentioning, you kind of get the VIP action to you know watch the launch and get the updates of the mission as it's going. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool in itself as well. Uh, it's just the ultimate time there. capsule. Ultimate time capsule. Well, if you would like to send your DNA or your ashes or your pet's DNA to space. Yep. Pets, pets DNA. And I got to yep. imagine pet's ashes are coming up too. Yeah, for sure. Then send it to Ben. Go to lifeship.com and send your DNA to Ben. But do it in an official way. Thanks for listening to Space and 60. See you next time. See you guys. See you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Space and 60. Stay tuned as we explore new journeys into space with our upcoming guests and talk about the evolution of the industry. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any new episodes. And we would love your input and feedback. So send us your comments and questions, and we'll try to feature them in a future podcast. We'll catch you on the next episode of Space and 60, where new space speaks. Space and 60.